the path doesn't have to be straight. We have enough information that we can Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to a Vanessa and Sue Tech Talk for the week of August 23rd. We're talking about some really interesting things this week. One of them we're really, really, really excited to, to share with you. Um, as of today, we have released an episode that is entitled American Mom Takes on the Taliban, Rescuing the Afghan All-Girls Robotics Team and What's Next. Um, that is literally episode 88 and it is hot, hot, because it was just posted this morning. So we want to start with that topic. Uh, Allison Renault is the American heroine mom superwoman who is helping Afghan girls and women escape the situation that's happening in Afghanistan. She is the mom of 11 uh, children, nine of them being girls. So this really hits home for her. Um, she uh, has had a relationship with the Afghan all girls robotics team since 2017. She helped them mm -hmm. come over to Washington DC to compete in a STEM competition because they had some trouble initially um, getting to, you know, come over. Exactly. That's when her relationship with these girls started. Um, she has since then uh, maintained in touch with them, touching base with them, giving them support, moral support, mom support from the U S and as she heard, of what was happening in Afghanistan and uh, the U.S. presence fading, she had this sense, this spidey sense that she needed to, to act and get in touch with them. And as the Taliban took over, she, she just kind of went into action and started reaching out to people. And Sue, what I loved mm -hmm. about her in her interview is that she is so humble and vulnerable. And she said, you know, I'm not well-connected. I just happen mm -hmm. to want to help these girls. And I didn't let anything get in my way. And I just started calling and texting and moving. And that's how she's gotten this far. 10 girls and two adults are in Qatar and safe and have been evacuated from Kabul or Afghanistan proper. So yeah, Sue, what are your thoughts? Because I loved, <laughs> I loved speaking with her and I loved her energy. I did too. I loved everything that she's doing. I'm so grateful that, you know, I spoke with her in the morning before our interview and she had been up since three 30 in the morning. I think she started with Fox and friends and she just kept going throughout the day. Um, but yes, she is such a shining example of, you know, we all get this, that spidey center, that gut instincts that, that we want to do something and we'll have a good idea and we'll think, uh, it's crazy. What difference can I exactly. make? And then we get interrupted mm -hmm. and other things come up and then we don't end up doing anything. And that was not Allison. Allison felt a commitment to these girls, even though her relationship with them is primarily through text message. And she just said, I'll, I'll take the tools that I have at my disposal, which is my phone, my grit and my network. And I'll activate those three things. And, and sometimes that is really all it takes is like guerrilla social good warfare, mm -hmm. you know, so you just get in there and you do what you can. And, and that really resonated 
with the contacts that she did have, including the pivotal contact, which was uh, a woman she knew at the U.S. Embassy in Qatar. I believe it was. Yes, it was uh, an old roommate that um, she I, I okay. think that was just mentioning to her what she was doing. Yeah. She actually had booked a ticket herself to go to Qatar. She mm-hmm. wound up not needing to go because her old roommate was in in, in the U.S. Embassy there and was willing and right. able to help. We don't want to give the whole episode away because it's such a great one. We want you guys to listen to it. But um, again, you know, our podcast is all about what women can do and using our voices and and Alison Renault is a tremendous example of that. And we all can, can be doing more than we think. That's the, um, that's the takeaway for me. So definitely listen to episode 88 and uh, every other awesome episode of the week. Really <laughs> yes. podcast. I just also want to call out, you know, she did share some um, links with us. If you go to the YouTube video and in the show notes of the podcast, you'll have links, check her out and some of the funding pages that she has. Mm-hmm. So all of the money, 100% of the funds raised are is, is going to this effort of bringing women and girls to safety, basically, mm-hmm. whether that be here in the States, whether that be with different diplomats and countries that are surrounding Afghanistan that are um, opening their borders to these um, to these people because, you know, it's, it's very harrowing. Right. She has a GoFundMe page and a Facebook page to raise funds for, for this initiative. And I mean, she's not stopping. Allison's take is that the entire robotics team will be uh, eventually evacuated, hopefully safely. That is, that's her gut. Of course, we don't know this, but that's her hope and expectation. So she is now turning her attention to helping professional women in Afghanistan. That's sort of the next wave of women who are targets of the Taliban regime because they are educated, they have voices and they are leaders, and they are now hiding for their lives and, and looking for ways to get out. So that is Allison's next initiative. She's trying to figure out the logistics and partners and people that can help um, evacuate professional women. And she specifically mentioned uh, lawyers and judges, but we'll definitely stay abreast of that and keep you guys updated as well, because I'm sure as things unfold, there'll be other opportunities for all of us to pitch in in whatever way, shape or form we're able to. So to be continued. Absolutely. Yes. What other tech topics do we have? Well, Sue, yeah, I do. And since we're speaking of this, I just think I have one um, that (laughs) resonates. Um, Clubhouse actually has removed any personal information of user accounts in Afghanistan um, as, uh, you know, out of an abundance of caution and a safety measure. And I believe there are some other social platforms that have uh, done the same, but basically um, they have reset tens of thousands, it says in this article, uh, user bios and photos and made their accounts more difficult to be searchable. It won't affect their accounts. And if they personally, that person wants to reverse what they've done, they can do that. But they've done this again, just out of an abundance of caution and to help people who have accounts through their platform. So I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously anything that anybody can do to help families over there. We talk about women and girls, but anyone, anyone, um, because not everyone is as fortunate as others that might have contacts and and connections and networks that they can tap into. So anything that we can do as a a humanity to help these people um, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Vanessa, have you been on Clubhouse since this all went down? I'm wondering if people are having conversations on clubhouse about Afghanistan. Uh, I'm sure there are, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure they there are, are but, yeah. <laughs> no, but my question being, I'm wondering if people within the country are able to do that. And, and that's part of why clubhouse is taking down the identifying uh, data. Well, but you know, you know, I- 
I think that it's uh, before the Taliban went in there, I'm assuming there were a lot more voices um, doing that. I am sure that there are conversations surrounding what's happening now as media outlets are reporting and we're seeing the Taliban has basically said, hey, we've changed. We have a new way of doing things. This is all a PR campaign, and they're very, very um, savvy with social media and trying to change the image that they have acquired over several years, right? So this also played into Clubhouse's decision mm-hmm. into you know, helping these people and their identities. Um, so basically, uh, to answer your question, I, I do not know if anybody from Afghanistan is still there in that platform speaking out. Um, and if they are, again, uh, I don't know what, apart from the measure that, that Clubhouse has done to make searching for particular people more difficult, I don't know about, you know, anything else. Like if a person's speaking, their voice is still going to be their voice. If it's recognized, if somebody calls them by name, and there are a lot of different nuances that are, right. haven't been covered in this article, at least. You know, all we can do is is really hope and and pray. Yeah, I I just thought about that because I used to be very active on Clubhouse, and I haven't been in several months. And obviously, this is a very timely topic, and uh, be mm-hmm. interesting to to hear what kinds of information is able to come out of Afghanistan via that platform and what's being said right now. So I had a couple of of stories that I found this past week that I thought were really interesting that are related specifically to children. Vanessa is the mom of a beautiful baby and a beautiful, is she a kindergartner officially as of today? Today was the first day of pre-K. pre-K. Okay. So, you know, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be wonderful. And it's a slippery slope. And before you know it, no, I won't say it. I won't say that you'll be sending her okay. to college, <laughs> but please don't. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's fun. It's in fact, I was, um, out for a bike ride with my daughter, Kayla, yesterday, who is about to start her first official adulting job. And we were talking about the first day of school and how much fun that was over the years and figuring out who your friends are in your classes and all the things. So you have a lot of fun things ahead of you. So, um, yes, but indeed. going all the way back to, to preschoolers, I read this really interesting scientific report, which is a journal, scientific reports. Um, a study shows that touchscreen time can be harmful to toddlers because it may diminish their attention span. And so I thought this was very relevant because obviously the children that we are raising now are digital natives. They were practically born with an iPhone in their hand or a tablet. Um, but at-home tablet use apparently has been on the rise even before the pandemic. It was up between 28 and 63% for kids ages three and four. And that is over a time span starting in, in 2013 to today. And a small study, and this was a very small study, 40 children, but it showed that touchscreen use is correlated to reduced ability to resist distraction. And this applies to kids 12 months to three and a half years old. They used an eye tracker to observe how quickly computer screen pop-ups diverted the toddler's attention. And the kids who averaged more than 10 to 15 minutes per day, which doesn't sound like very much to me, had a tougher time resisting the distraction than those who spent little or no time on a smart device. Further study is needed to determine if this means that kids have a greater difficulty concentrating or if they're just learning to multitask at a really early age. Mm -hmm. So mom of a toddler, what are your thoughts about that? It's interesting. I'm trying to think of the behaviors that I've observed with with Anderson, um, which is our, again, our our pre-K daughter. We try to limit screen time. 
but to your point, 15 minutes a day, I know it's more than that, just because during the pandemic, we were two working parents um, mm-hmm. working from home with two babies in the house and not much help. <laughs> so we had games, we had educational TV shows, uh, you know, and it wasn't all day, but there were certain parts of the day where that was what was going to make her happy. And that was going to allow us to do what we needed to do for work. I will say that whenever she gets an alert or there's something that pops up on the screen while she's on it, she's very quick to just move it out of the way. So there is that. However, I do feel that this all ties into the instant gratification, right? Like Mm -hmm. they know what they want, when they want, how they want it, and they want it now. And sometimes we have Ruka Salt moments, you know, where she, (laughs) mommy, I want to do that. Let's do this now, you know? Um, (laughs) So I think that, you know, more so than the distraction piece of it, because again, it's from what I've seen, she is very, um, and again, she is four years old. So I think the age also plays a part in this, but she is very good about just moving whatever it is out of the way and continuing to focus on what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece of it though, the, uh, the no, no patience, basically you are really right. working on patience right now. And, um, that things can't happen exactly when you want them to happen. Um, except when they can happen exactly. (laughs) It works except when it doesn't. That's the, I think that's the problem is that sometimes you can get things instantaneously. So why can't we do that all the time? Oh, exactly. I think that crosses all ages. And it's funny because, um, when my girls were small, I know there was a study that came out about Sesame street and about children's television and how the flash rates on the television screen Mm -hmm. were questioned, uh, for the same reason that, that the rapid rate of the, of the flash flashing on the screen was believed by, and the results of studies showed that it did affect kids' attention. And in the intervening years, we have heard more about attention deficit disorders, attention deficit hyperactivity disorders, and mm-hmm. things that um, have, have come more on, I would say, the child rearing radar over the past 20 years or so. So is there something there? Probably. However, we live in a digital world. The devices aren't going away. No, exactly. Uh, the need to rely on them. So it's then just becomes a question, I think, of, of being really mindful of how much time your child is on a device and realizing how short that time span maybe needs to be and doing the best we can. We're all navigating through this because the technology, again, is evolving very, very quickly, but it, it's becoming part of us. <laughs> Agree. Agree. Yeah. And, I, you know, we talk about technology, but this phrase, everything in moderation, you know, that's it's moderation. Ages, <laughs> ages old, but yes, yeah. and, you know, defining what moderation is and, you know, a little bit at a time, I think are okay. And that's with most things is when you have that excessive use or what have you. I'm glad that people are thinking to study this too, right? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the research and the information that we get from this that will empower us as parents to know how much is too much and how to navigate the realities of technology with our kiddos. Absolutely. Well, you had another uh, article about kiddos and some education and soft skills, right? Yeah. So there is a preschool. It's a Singapore preschool, which is teaching kids. And they say that they're they're teaching kids soft skills that are needed for the digital age. Um, And it's kind of interesting because it's, it's a preschool called Treehouse, as I believe how it's pronounced. It's not spelled like we would think of that in English. But the idea is it's a preschool inspired by Silicon Valley, and it promises to teach kids how to survive the digital age. What does that mean? Well, the school's programs are themed by career paths like engineer, athlete, and chef. 
The programs teach children the skills needed for a given career path, like coding or cooking. They also say they're teaching grit, adaptability, and empathy, which are the soft skills that will be needed more than hard skills, they say, in the digital age. So I have two thoughts about this. One is everything old becomes new again. <laughs> for the longest time, it was like we need, we have plenty of good um, soft skills, but we need to teach kids how to code and we need to teach all these hard skills. Well, now that we feel like we're getting a good handle on emphasizing STEM and STEAM, and I believe that that's very important, now we're going back to but where are the soft skills? <laughs> I gotta go back to the soft skills. So um, so that's one thought. And my second thought is, I, I have to wonder a little bit if this isn't a bit of hyperbole because I feel like any good preschool teaches empathy, teaches patience, teaches soft skills, right? Like that's the whole point of preschool. I know when my kids were little, they, and they went to Montessori preschools where they got to play in the the cook room or you know, mm. pretend that they were chefs or they got they got to do a lot of these same kinds of things that were like pretending to be a grown-up. And in the process of that, you learn a little bit about oh, a bank. Mm -hmm. Remember there's a little bank space. Um, or sitting at a pretend computer and playing with it. And and so is it really that novel? What do you think? <laughs> so again, I'm gonna say that age has a lot to do with it. I I agree with you. I think that in preschool we're actually really good about teaching kids, you know, people's feelings and what we should do and what we shouldn't do and what's appropriate and good manners and in those soft skills, right? What makes us, um, you know, just relatable human beings to each other and, and just being kind. Um, however, I think as kids get older, the emphasis on soft skills diminishes and then they turn to like, okay, testing. And what do we have to fulfill to make sure that these kids test above this? And, and it all becomes this like, um, you know, circle of what they have to do in order for their school's rating to be above a certain, uh, you mm -hmm. know, number. I love our educators out there. I, I think that it's one of the hardest jobs. The, <laughs> it's under undervalued and underpaid. Um, I don't think it's their fault. I think that they're just victims of the system and um, that's, that's broken in a sense. And I think that if we can incorporate some of those things that we, we, can, we do in preschool into uh, an age-appropriate setting for each grade with the soft skills and empathy building, that's where we really need to be leaning toward and mm -hmm. <laughs> screw the freaking tests already, right? Now, I do think it's brilliant, though, this idea of, you know, digital citizens and teaching them in this way where it's almost an intersection of the digital age and practical life skills. And I think as a school does this, you know, in, in, at least in my head, what we've talked about is like finding something you're really excited about and tying that into the tech world. And you have that that intersection, right? You have that mm -hmm. that passion and and the and the tech and and then the steam thing comes into play. So I love that piece of it. Just make sure that your preschooler, while they're at preschool, isn't on a tablet or a device, a touch screen device for more than 15 minutes a day, then that will affect their ability to pay attention. So again, going back to the age thing, what about us? I know, right? <laughs> well, I mean, how much screen time do we have a day? I mean, it's, it, it is what it is, right? Like this is the reality <laughs> of our world. Maybe we need to start thinking of our technology as we build the hardware to address that issue. You know, like what, what can they do in the back end to make it less triggering, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I've done is I turn off my notifications. 
I don't have notifications on my computer because that is super distracting. Anytime you have something pop up, it's like, pay attention to me. I've done that on my phone as well. Have you done that? Uh, I know I, I, and in the app I have, I usually say no. And then if yeah. I have to go back, if I want a notification for, from a specific app that I, I use often, I will go in there and I adjust the settings, but yeah. clubhouse was the worst on that when we, yeah. we first, when we first downloaded it, I know that was it was big... like every five seconds. And that is not an exaggeration. You were getting a ping because there's so many conversations going right. on at once. It was and you overwhelming. Just feel, yeah, it was overwhelming. It felt like, you know, just because a conversation is going on is, does not equate to it's something that I need to be a part of, but you feel that way when you have the notifications popping up on your phone, like this must be something I'm supposed to pay attention to. Like that's exactly. a gut instinct. It's not, you know, maybe thought out that thoroughly, but anyway, for the preschool, if you're interested, it is called Treehouse, T-R-E-H-A-U-S. It is in Singapore, and it will set you back $22,680 a year to send your darling little digital native <laughs> to this preschool. So I thought that was, you know, interesting. Well, I, kudos to Treehouse. I, I like their their format and their uh, their plan. They're putting that into looks action. Really cute. Mm -hmm. It looks. I mean, all preschools look really cute. To me. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I can go on a mom mom tangent about how cute. Like we went to open house yesterday, and how cute the room is, and how pleased I was with like everything they're doing to be COVID safe and all. You know, because there are obviously those concerns right now as a mom too. So, right. anyway, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, um, Microsoft had a little. Uh, situation that I, I suppose has come out this morning as of this recording, some default settings on a specific tool called the Power App, Microsoft Power App Platform, which allows businesses um, to create applications um, themselves. So you don't have to be a super coder to do it um, or formal experience coding. Uh, so they can create their own applications. It was, I'm gonna say breached, to a level, okay? And now this is how, how they're explaining it. Something on the back end <laughs> is was set to not be as secure as it, as it was supposed to. So um, it was misconfigured to expose data. And uh, there were 38 million people that were exposed, basically. So we're talking about names, email addresses, social security numbers, uh, COVID-19 vaccination appointments, et cetera, that were made available. Now, um, as of right now, nothing nefarious has come from it, but it was something that they had to kind of nip in the bud and change the default setting for this personal information to not be accessible. Um, and, you know, there's arguments of, uh, okay, well, why wasn't that done to begin with? And then Microsoft is saying, well, the person building the app should have checked that before. Then there's the thought of, okay, well, if you are supplying this platform to people that don't need to be experienced coders, how would they know to do that, right? Right. Uh, like, mm -hmm. uh, organically. So check your settings. Make sure if you use the Microsoft Power App platform that, you know, just the setting to be private, to not allow the information or the data to go anywhere it's not supposed to go to. Yes, cybersecurity is always a fun one to talk about. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, we just had the T-Mobile um, hack as well, right? Of 48 million users in the past couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And I read that since the pandemic, the number of cybersecurity attacks has increased by 300%. And that's according to the FBI. So, I mean, this is an ongoing, we just have so many vulnerabilities because we, we have do. so many places of intersection through the internet. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, again, if if you check out the article, I have it on, um, pulled up on Verge. The organizations they've listed that have been affected are Ford, American Airlines, J.B. Hunt, and some state agencies in Maryland, New York City, and Indiana. So check it's starting to feel almost like not if you'll get hacked, but when and how bad. Well, absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's like it's only a matter of time, right? Mm-hmm. And and the severity <laughs> will right. differ for each person, I'm sure. But yeah. yeah. All righty. Well, I have a cool one. This is researchers who have invented clothes that conduct Bluetooth and Wi-Fi to connect all of your different gadgets. Mm. And the conductive material on the clothes surface is made of stainless steel, and it's in a cone-shaped strip formation. The clothing can be washed like any other normal clothing. And not only does it connect to your devices like smartwatches and your phone and other things, but it also will charge them. And it it uses, I guess, the way that the, the radio waves are directed, they're directed, there's not as much waste. I'm not going to describe this in great technical detail, but I will point you to the article. It's actually on Insider, um, Business Insider today. And today's date is August 24th. And so it directs the radio waves to the devices and outward, not inward towards your body, but it does it in such a way that you're not diffusing too much of that energy and wasting it, which is why all of our batteries on all of our devices need to be recharged all the time and why they go down so quickly, apparently. Big takeaway is that uh, they're smart clothes. They can turn the wearer into a pseudo human circuit board, effectively enhancing connectivity between your wearable devices. So pretty soon we're all gonna be walking batteries, guys. Have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Have a lot of thoughts here. So one, <laughs> this kind of reminds me of a conversation we had with Billy Whitehouse with Wearable X mm-hmm. and, um, you know, some haptics technology she had with, uh, with fitness wear, right? Like that we had that conversation with her. So that reminds me of that. If you haven't checked that out, that episode, Billy Whitehouse, I don't have the episode number handy. She's a great, great, uh, resource there for wearable technology. So you and I have had these conversations too, where I'm like, okay, these wearable things, what is it putting into our bodies? I mean, my husband has like, if he could have it on like all four limbs, he would like, he has his two arms and he sleeps with these things on. Um, I've gotten knocked in the head a few times. (laughs) I complain. (laughs) They're not safe. (laughs) But if he could have it on both angles, he would. And I always say, I'm like, are you not going to have like hands, you know, in the future because of all the stuff, all of the waves going into your body. And Although this is saying that, yes, okay, it's going out, not in, right? And it's going to be diffused. I, we're moms, you know, and I'm a mom of babies. I'm constantly holding them, you know, like, mm-hmm. is it going to go to the people around me? Like, I don't want it to like shoot. I mean, again, I don't want to sound ignorant or, you know, uh, like, I mean, I'm thinking <laughs> You're of charging this, your baby. <laughs> I'm thinking of this, like, again, as a movie, because I think of most <laughs> things, but I'm like, okay, what, where is this stuff going? And mm-hmm. I understand the reality of it. We talk about screen time. We talk about realities of like, okay, we, everyone has like a uh, wearable technology attached to them in some way or form. You always have your phone. Like just talk about your phone. It's not wearable, but you constantly have it in your bag that's on your body or in your pocket or what have you. What is that going to do in the future? What's going to come out that we're going to be talking about and covering <laughs> in the future? So it's, it's cool. It's interesting. It's definitely novel, right? But what is it doing to the people around us if, if, you know, if it's not going into our bodies and we're not absorbing it? It's got to be absorbed somewhere. 
Well, two, two thoughts about that. First of all, I want to share that um, the episode that Vanessa referenced with Billy Whitehouse, Wearable X Technology is actually episode nine of Yay. the Daily podcast. Thank you, so Take a listen to that one. Yep. And then um, I'm, I'm going to read this to you. So it, it explains the technology a little bit. Bluetooth and Wi-Fi radio waves, which almost all body sensors, like the ones that Vanessa's husband wears in his um, wrist, used to connect to start smartphones and other wearable electronics typically radiate outwards in all directions when emitted, resulting that in the fact that most energy is lost to the surroundings. The result is a drastic reduction in efficiency of the wearable device as much of its battery life is consumed just trying to establish connection with another gadget. So again, they're saying their specially patterned meta textile will confine signals between sensors closer to the body instead of letting them spread away into surrounding space. And it's made from stainless steel fibers. And it's actually kind of cool looking. I mean, it looks almost like a decorative um, placket on a, a shirt or a jacket. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that they were thinking about carrying your baby when they devised this. And that is a great question and a great point because who knows? And, and, and I yeah. know the other thing I was going to mention is a long time ago, maybe a year and a half ago, feels like a long time. I heard an interview with um, a guy who was studying all this. And as part of, he's an entrepreneur and he was talking about how he carries his cell phone in a pocket on his like left thigh on the front of his left femur, kind of like a cargo pants type of pocket. Mm -hmm. And he went and had a bone density scan done and the bone density in his left femur, even though he's left side dominant in his body was like 11% thinner than the bone density in his right femur. Even wow. though, again, that's the dominant side of his body. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so yeah, are these waves going out? Sure. They are right. It's just a question of to what effect, to what effect and we're still figuring out and, and where, like who, what's absorbing it or who, <laughs> whom. Yeah, I know. So anyway, but metamaterial textiles can boost and receive signals and make your internet a lot faster. Mm -hmm. apparently. Yeah. So, trade-offs <laughs> exactly privacy for convenience you know <laughs> like convenience Left for... Leg for good signal you know <laughs> oh, oh goodness. my goodness well that's all i've got for today yeah, that's no, enough I to think, think about i believe it, it is a lot to think about and i think we're covering a lot of really interesting stories next time yes next time thank you for listening Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.wegetrealaf.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.